Why? You could say, why is that? This condi- condition, non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, put, is an all-out assault on your body because of what they're discovering is organ crosstalk. And Dr. Jerry probably could have told us this uh, with his uh, uh, cyber cyber scam. But enter- these these energetically organs talk to one another, and non-alcoholic fatty liver disease happens when uh, you get fat buildup in the cells of the liver. And if you get over to five or ten percent of your liver's weight from fat you got this disease. And this disease can turn deadly when it causes your liver to swell and scar. It's also been called non-alcoholic steatohepatitis, or NASH. So lots, lots, lots of names in medicine. And it really sounds great. But the only treatment for this condition, though, ladies and gentlemen, is a liver transplant. So if we have time, we'll talk more about this and its relation to fructose and maybe its relation to pancreatic cancer. But... Let's go ahead and uh, let's have Dr. Dan just enlighten us about uh, this with this big pharmaceutical companies that that make this acetaminophen, and I can and we'll talk to you about how uh, even McNeil has settled a lot of lawsuits uh, because they don't want the uh, uh, testimony to get out uh, to the general public about what they knew about this for years. Well, Dr. Dan, what do you got for us on, on, on acetaminophen, otherwise known as Tylenol? Well, uh, I thought I'd talk on something different called the silent epidemic or the toxic time bomb, which, of course, is Tylenol. All right, think about it. The silent epidemic, the toxic time bomb. People don't know what it is. It's acetaminophen or Tylenol, which we all know as Tylenol, or APAP, acetyl para amino phenol. That's another uh, uh, an abbreviation that you might see for Tylenol somewhere along the way and not know what you're looking at. And then in some foreign countries and some other places here, you might get the word paracetamol. So I'm saying all these names instead of just acetaminophen or Tylenol because these might be on some of these over-the-counter products that we buy and have no idea that we're buying Tylenol along with the over-the-counter product. And that leads people to take an overdose. Of course, Tylenol or acetaminophen is the leading cause of liver disease and toxicity and failure in the United States and the United Kingdom at this point that I know of. Maybe it is all over the world, but these are the ones I picked up in my reading. It was discovered in 1877, approved in 1955, and called the safest drug in the world at at, at any one time. Well, that's been proven to be not, not true. Right. Um, in 1982, uh, some capsules were poisoned with cyanide, some some real Tylenol capsules, and seven or eight people died. And they figured, well, that was the only toxicity that occurred through Tylenol. Well, more people have died from real Tylenol than were poisoned at that time, and they were really poisoned by somebody. I don't know who it was. The The number of people who, who, go to, who call the Center for Disease Control every year are 100,000. The emergency room gets 56,000 visits, 26,000 are admitted to the hospital, and 458 die. Some get liver transplants, some die. It depends. Um, And it is in over 600 over-the-counter drugs that's added to, I don't know, Tylenol uh, for sleep, Tylenol to wake up with, whatever you're going to take it with. But they add it to so many drugs that you have to be careful. You have to really read the box and the labels if they put it on there. Sometimes they do. Sometimes you miss it because it's not there. They said that 28 billion pills a year go out. 130 million are on prescription or over-the-counter. And 173 uh People per year, it averages out to. So if you average it out to everyone in the United States, you get 173 pills per person. Wow. Yeah, that's a lot, isn't it? Even for the ones yeah. who don't take it. Yeah, and Dr. Dan, 
our liver is important because it removes the toxins from our body, right? And absolutely. And, and it can be damaged by a lot of different medications. But would you say that acetaminophen tops that list? Oh, it, oh, it, it tops them all. It seems right it, it, because if that's the one that's killing the liver, mostly that that's the one. That's the topper. Absolutely. And um, there are five thousand plus dead from Tylenol, and that's more than all of our boys and girls that are killed in Afghanistan and Iraq combined. That's an interesting one, isn't it? Where, it is, really. Yeah, but more have died from the Tylenol toxicity. Now, of course, you're going to find this much more toxic if you're an alcoholic or you drink three drinks or more per day. You shouldn't be taking Tylenol and alcohol at the same time or too much of of any of it because I, I believe it's one of one out of every three people in the United States take Tylenol. And that's a lot of people. Since we have 308 million people in the United States. It affects the liver, of course, and they say don't take it when you're fasting. I still don't quite understand that one, but it has. I, I tried to get an answer on it, but all I could get is nausea and stomach issues in a fasting situation if you take Tylenol. But it, it must not break down properly as it does when you have alcohol. Um, should it be sold over the counter? What do you think? You be the judge. Well, uh, there there are some physicians who have written that if this drug was brought out uh, on its own today, it would right. have to be by prescription only, right? Right, just like aspirin, <laughs> which has the same situation. They said it would be too dangerous, but uh, Tylenol, yes, exactly. I, I, I did come across that. Of course, the recommended dose of Tylenol was 4,000 milligrams a day if you did take it. Now they dropped it to 3,000 milligrams a day. Okay, so. But, you know, I, I did some calculations myself, Dr. Dan, and yeah. if you're taking extra strength Tylenol for a headache, uh, but you also feel like you're coming down with a bug and you really need a good night's sleep, and then you take a dose of NyQuil, that right. combination adds up to 5,600 milligrams. There you that's, go. That's over the top of the FDA's lenient, lenient daily limit, is it not? Exactly. The amazing thing is some people who take under the limit, I don't know why, I can't explain it, they still get the liver toxicity if they take 2,000 milligrams of that. Now, I don't know how many days, everybody's, everybody's different. Some people seem to be very, very prone to the liver toxicity more than others. Well, it's Dr. the most Dan, popular drug in yeah, America. Yeah, Dr. Dan, more than likely, these are the people that are deficient in, like, glutathione or superoxide. That's exactly right. Yeah, so their liver can't detoxify it, so it becomes more poisonous to the cells. Right, exactly, because what what happens is if you don't have glutathione, uh, it's more toxic to your liver. So maybe we should be taking glutathione every day. Yep, and save the Alka-Seltzer for New Year's Eve, right? Because the Alka-Seltzer Plus has Tylenol in it. (laughs) I don't know what they have in Alka-Seltzer. They used to have aspirin in it. Yeah, it has Tylenol, acetaminophen in there. Oh, so now they have acetaminophen. I I haven't taken that for 100 years, so. Good. (laughs) Uh, uh, Yeah, it is the number one killer of the -the over-the-counter drugs. And um, right now there are, as of 2015, there were 200 lawsuits against McNeil. And, of course, they have very smart lawyers. Dr. Paul Thomas says it shuts down the glutathione, just like you said, Jerry. And Dr. Ron Dalton says use for a short time if you do use it. Try to not to use it at all. Yeah, there's plenty of natural, you know, analgesics that... uh, you know, will work even better. But, um, again, it's uh, usually when the NSA drugs, the non-steroidal anti-inflammatories are working, it's a clinical diagnosis that you're deficient in essential fatty acids. So, right. unfortunately, most people don't get enough in their diet, so they, it's quicker to to pop the acetaminophen and, you know, walk away from it. 
Oh, oh, it's very, very easy, especially after you have a hangover and you think it's going to help you. And it, and the, and it doesn't really do that. Um, it, it does take away pain, but it doesn't have any anti-inflammatory effects at all. Yeah, it can well, also have... You know, M- MSM, MSM is methyl sulfonylmethane, and right. that'll take away a hangover real quickly without the adverse side effects. <laughs> oh, I, I didn't, I didn't know that. I take that every day. Yeah. Well, if yeah. you happen to take a, an extra drink, you just uh, load up on the MSM. It'll, it'll take care of it. <laughs> Anymore, I'm not drinking at all. I just don't have any desire for it. Isn't that funny how you change in life? <laughs> well, I never drank that much anyway. But uh, it does all right, have well, a button Dan, you mentioned those uh, those those lawsuits. Uh, let let right. me let me give you let me give you an update on that. At the beginning of February this year, McNeil Pharmaceuticals made a clean sweep by settling hundreds of lawsuits against the company over its oh. flagship Tylenol. Okay, they weren't frivolous ones either. Each one represented. A suit that changed someone's life after taking Tylenol. But Mm. before the company locked these cases away by settling them all confidentially, we heard some stories Mm. behind them, but that is all confidential information now. But there's one story that came out that I'll tell you about, uh, which was said to be a scene setter if it had ever gone to trial. It was filed by the sister of an Alabama teacher, Denise Hayes, who died seven years ago at the age of 51 from acute liver failure. Her family said the Tylenol that Hayes took was directly responsible for her death. In fact, each name in the court documents, many with quote-unquote deceased in capital letters after them, told mm. this heartbreaking story. I could go on. I have names from these this lawsuit. But yeah, as you as you said, McNeil had introduced this product over 60 years ago and they right. should have known more about it, right? Right. Should have been investigated more, it should have been checked out more, and they should have checked the people that were taking it. Wow, wow. isn't that something? Yeah, everything now is confidential and proprietary and we'll never know everything they knew about. Uh, Tylenol, but there's no, they did nothing to give us a new improved Tylenol, that's for sure. They but said that here that experts were going to testify how at, uh, how McNeil was looking to make chemical changes to Tylenol that would prevent the drug from from harming the liver, but in the hmm. end, guess what? They didn't make any changes. No. So you were right no. on with the lawsuit, but the lawsuit is now settled uh, for billions, and uh, the, the, those documents are sealed. What was, so, what was that? Millions or billions? Billions. Billions. Wow. Yeah. Okay, I'm putting that in my notes here. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'll send. I'll, I, after the show, I'll, I'll send you the, the reference. Okay. So, another, uh, Doctor Ron, there's another interesting aspect with uh, acetaminophen interacting with like topicals like sitinest or lidocaine. Um, they're actually warning people because it can set people up for, for liver damage because uh the, the combination of the drugs, which I thought was kind of interesting. Being a dentist, you know, I don't use lidocaine, I use sitinest, but, you know, that also can be adverse. And, you know, now I'm going to start to uh, question my patients if they're taking any acetaminophen. But what do you that's, use, Jerry? That's a real good point. Yeah, I mean, it's a common thing. You go to the dentist and, you know, you assume that, um, you know, the local anesthetic is no big deal. And I sitinest is... Um, a different form. Lidocaine is prilocaine, and lidocaine literally breaks down into aniline, which is a known carcinogen. So that's why I don't use lidocaine in my practice. Sitinest, I think, breaks down into a different compound. But both can cause what they call methemoglobinemia, low oxygen, uh, you mm-hmm. know, carrying capacity of the blood. And for whatever reason, uh, using topical, you know, sitinest or lidocaine, uh, interacts with uh, internal acetaminophen and increases your risk factor for liver issues. Mm. That, that's an interesting, really interesting one. I didn't come across that point. But, hey, that, you that know, and I, I have, uh, I see that Kyle has called in, and I want to introduce him in a second. But uh, <clears throat> it, it blows my mind that the FDA even says that you're allowed to take three drinks. When it really, there should be no alcohol uh, mixed with Tylenol, right. even one drink, right? Have Would you agree, Dr. Take Dan? Tylenol, no alcohol. Right. It's yeah, really toxic. 
Yeah, toxic, and you know, 50% of the liver transplants in the United States are due to acetaminophen. And then, of course, uh, later on we'll talk about the fructose and the non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. Uh, that's now, I mean, uh, they're running short of livers. And maybe Dan, uh, Kyle will give us a uh, an update on what he knows. Uh, Dr. Dan and Dr. Jerry, I, I had the fortune uh, to meet uh, this young man. Uh, we'll call him, his name is Kyle. And I saw him while he was exercising, getting back in shape, and he shared with me that he actually has had a liver transplant. So I, I asked him and imposed upon him to, to come on the program and just to share with us uh, what he went through while waiting for the liver, what he went through during the surgery, and now what he's going through, because this is serious, uh, serious business. Uh, serious. I'm sure he's taking some serious medication, anti-rejection drugs, and he agreed to come on. So uh, I want to introduce uh, uh, Kyle. Kyle, how are you, sir? Hi, I'm good. How are you doing? Good. We're doing great, Kyle. Kyle, you have on here uh, with me Dr. Dan and Dr. Jerry. And, um, you know, like I, I we talked about, maybe if you could just tell your story. And I'm sure Dr. Jerry and Dr. Dan may have some questions for you, if you'd be kind enough to answer them. Uh, and our audience will uh, uh, will really uh gain from this but uh i got the you know kyle i usually i was so excited today with preparing for the uh hurricane and getting you on the program i forgot to read something that i have to read every show and i'm going to do it now to interrupt you for a second this program ladies and gentlemen contains general general medical information the medical information heard on this program is not advice and should not be treated as such the information is not intended or implied to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. You should never delay seeking medical advice, disregard medical advice, or discontinue medical treatment because of information heard on this program. You are encouraged to confirm any information obtained from this program with other sources and review all information regarding any medical condition or treatment with your physicians. Now my attorneys are happy. All right, Kyle. Uh, <laughs> Uh, Why don't you take take as much time and share with us your your story, please? I'm sure. Um, thanks for having me. Um, my story started roughly just over a year ago. In fact, uh, when I first got diagnosed was August 22nd of last year, 2016. Um, before that, I had shown very little signs. I had had some jaundice of the eyes. Uh, some days it would be bad. Some days you'd be barely even notice it at all. Um, like any other person in their 30s, I kind of dismissed it, um, being naive in hindsight. You know, I wish I had addressed it earlier, but I, I, I didn't really uh, address it all that much. Um, I used to have couple, some swelling of the legs, um, but not too bad. And just assumed, you know, because, you know, you wear work shoes all day long that you just, you know, being on your feet, you know, you just have some swelling. Little I know that it was my liver going into failure. What happened to me, and, I guess, the way I found out. I'm sorry. And, and what age group uh, what, what are you in? Sure. I'm are, in, are you uh, in the 30 to 30 to 40? Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, and, and basically what happened was uh, I was I was fine, a, a normal day as usual. Um, when I went home, uh, we had made spaghetti for dinner, and I didn't feel that well, and I ended up um, – um, you know, bringing it back up, um, little did I know that I had hypertension in my throat and I was actually bleeding from the throat, um, from esophageal varices in my throat. And it continued all night long. And, and at some point it finally dawned on me that I wasn't throwing up the spaghetti from, from dinner, that this was actually blood. So I actually, um, we, you know, to the, to, uh, an ER center that we had, um, our urgent care center right down the street. And in that car ride itself, I actually went blind for a couple of seconds. I couldn't see anything. Uh, started getting disoriented when I was um, meeting with the doctor as he was, you know, looking me over and seeing, you know, where I was going and asking me questions. I ended up uh, passing out having a seizure. So obviously that's when you start going to the hospital. Um, the first thing I, I, I know I was awake and, and did a lot of the tests, but the first thing I can really remember after that is probably the following day when uh, the doctor said the, the shape of my liver, um, if, if massive, I was looking you know, at a possible 30 to 90 day left of life. 
um, obviously in, in my age group, you don't really think about that stuff. So that really kind of shook me to the core. Um, I had trouble with my hemoglobin. Obviously I was getting rid of all of that blood from throwing up. So my hemoglobin had dropped down into the sixes, below sixes. Um, they couldn't even really get me out of the hospital until you get to a certain age. I believe it's eight and maybe seven uh, where you can actually maintain that, that your body can actually maintain. Part of the problem was, is with my liver um, failing um, or working at a very low level, uh, I, I, my red blood cells couldn't mature. Well, Kyle, can I interrupt you for a second? Yeah. Were you on any medication for any length of time? Uh, I was not. Okay. I, I very rarely took uh, any medication. Um, I, I try to stay away from as much as possible. Now that had been a life choice, not that I haven't taken medication in the past, I have. Um, but uh, it was not something where, um, you know, I had been on something that was damaging my liver day to day. Kyle, how much time long were you taking a day? I wasn't taking Tylenol every day. In my lifetime, I have, you know, at, at certain points in my time, I did take it as PMs, but I was not uh, an everyday user. Uh, I really um, I really had a diet. Uh, obviously, alcohol hurts the liver. Had really um, had some scarring on different parts of the liver um, throughout just my lifetime. It could have been genetic. Um, obviously, uh, alcohol was a main factor in and accelerating everything that had happened to it after uh, the injury even um, so that the, the liver, for whatever reason, I showed very little signs, you know, and not signs I even knew to watch for until after it was too late. So um, you did drink some alcohol then? Oh, yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. 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 Alcohol was certainly involved in and uh, alcohol um, uh, you know, it's, it's not good for liver. Not, there are a lot of things that aren't good for the liver, but alcohol was certainly involved, absolutely. Okay. Um, uh, once you go into hospital then, you know, obviously you have the hemoglobin issues. Now you start going through getting blood transfusions, um, you know, the yellowness of the eyes, and you have a, a yellow tint to your skin, um, which is, you know, I actually live in a place where it's sunny most of the time, so... You know, you kind of hide it a little bit with your suntan, but uh, you can definitely tell, especially after you get on the recuperating end, the yellowness gone from your skin. But you have jaundice of the skin, not just the eye. Um, and you fight that swelling. I mentioned earlier that you have swelling of the shoes. Well, after I had the issue of the first time in the hospital and they start putting you on medication, now the swelling, and now that I'd already had the class, my, my way of life had started to deteriorate. Yeah, you have very little energy to do anything. Um, your feet are always swollen or swelling in the legs, not necessarily just the feet and the ankles. And then you have to keep them propped up so that you get rid of the swelling. You have, like I said, very little energy to do anything. But when I say little energy, it's to the point where um, if I were to get down on the floor and play with my dog to get back up, it wasn't something I could actually do on my own. I would have to crawl up the side of the bed or side of a chair or or use the wall and actually brace myself to walk up, Um, which has a pretty big impact on your life or it's just the fact of simply walk into the mailbox to get your mail or dive into the store to grab something to eat, you have some major swelling. Um, after that, you go, I, you know, I went through several different times of being in the hospital, um, about three different times, each time being a, about a seven to eight days each time get me um, able to leave the hospital and then go and be on my own then. A few weeks later, I had on back there. My GI specialist uh, actually referred me over to the Mayo Clinics uh, after so many tests and having so many times in the hospital saying that you have to go and meet with these specialists. Uh, upon their testing is where they determined that due to the shape of my liver, uh, I was uh, I was a, needed a liver transplant to, to have any type of life moving forward, uh, at least in the long term. Um, the medications itself, you know, I, you, your life is so uprooted and, and, and you can't work. You have to watch your diet. You have to watch your sodium. Um, you can't have more than 1,000 milliliters of water a day um, just to stay somewhat normal and without being able to do anything that um, to continue life like that, you know, would be uh, pretty hard. I went to work with 
um, the mail over time, um, go and meet with them monthly, going through their tests, uh, you know, doing everything they said to do to the T to get me uh, on the list. You have a protocol that you go through where they do a bunch of testing. They have, you know, certain people that, that they meet with, and, and then you get listed on there so that you have to be accepted onto their list. Um, the simple fact is, that, you know, there's, you know, you know, so many people that want a liver, but there's only so many livers to get. And plus you need that liver to, to become available. So unfortunately someone has to uh, pass on before you can even get to that uh, stage. Um, being in the Kyle, hospital. Yeah, um, Kyle, just yeah. Out, of, out of curiosity, did any of the doctors ever mention about a nutritional supplementation or alternative approaches? Uh, alter- well, it- yeah, well, I mean, my nutrition had changed quite a bit, especially once you got diagnosed. Um, not only with the, the sodium restrictions, but you have to watch everything you put in there. Um, the, you are very conscious. So the nutrition part changed quite a bit. It gets very healthy very fast. Um, as to alternative medicines, there's no, uh, you're really on really what you need to, to take to get rid of all the things on there because my liver wasn't processing the things that were already in my body. So to keep the pneumonia down, you had to take uh, medications for. So there wasn't a lot of holistic. I mean, there is like a lot of vitamin D and things like that that you have to take that, you know, are, are maybe holistic medications. But once you got to the point where I was, you're on a lot of heavy, heavy pharmaceuticals uh, just trying to keep, you know, other organs, you're also trying to, the reason you have the, the lack of water is not only for the swelling, is because, you know, you don't want um, that water, you know, hurting other parts of your body while you're trying to just, you know, hang on with what liver you have there. Does that somewhat answer your, your question? Uh, yeah, partially, because um, I, I had a patient that they told he needed a liver transplant, and I had diagnosed uh, benzene and hepatitis B in his liver, and in seven months on a nutritional program, removing those two offending things, his liver went back to normal 100%. Um, yeah, that could be, and a lot of times the liver does come back. Uh, you know, it is one of the organs that rejuvenates, so it, it does, it, it can come back. In fact, with my nutrition, uh, once you start, um, once you start working to get on the list and get on the list, you live in place you are on that list is done by what they call a MELD score. Um, that is a factor of certain functions, your body's, your INR, your creat, and then so, so forth. Um, my actually went down, and that is specifically due to the fact of, the, of some of the pharmaceuticals I got on, but a lot of it was um, the nutrition and watching what I ate and was very calculating everything I ate. So um, I was actually at a 31, which is pretty high on the scale of, of um, you know, 40s to max. Uh, and if you're at 40, you're in really bad shape. Um, and when you're on 30, you're, you're at pretty close to the top of the list. Uh, I actually went down to a 24 uh, at times, and, and depending on where your body was, it sometimes depended on where you were. So depending on how your nutrition was, you were able to actually come back. So anyone that wasn't as far gone as I was, uh, had they done well nutrition, it sounds like, like with one of your patients, um, it certainly can, can actually come back. Okay, so Kyle, so then you got on the list and you had some good fortune, correct? I did. Um, you, you know, you never know when when you're going to get it. There's a lot of things that go on when you get uh, a liver for the most part was, you know, obviously your, the, your, your body size, uh, for example, um, Due to the fact that you know I'm about a six foot male, uh, I can handle any size liver. A smaller person can't obviously handle the size of liver that was per- most likely I had um, from what was developed as I grew up. Um, so you have a lot of different. Plus you have blood matches, you have tissue matches. Um, so when you sit on this list, even though you could be at the top of the list, a match may not come in. It also may be that when a, a liver does come to available. Uh, you know, they, they call in three patients, you rush on over there to be the patient, depending at the time when they're physically looking at the liver and when they, uh, and they look at the patients, depending on which ones match up, depends on who gets the liver. So it's not uncommon for most people to have what they call dry runs. 
I, I was lucky enough. I did not have a dry uh, run, but uh, in that time that I was there and the support groups that you go to, because uh, you do need quite a bit of support uh, going through this day in and day out, all these testings, you know, um, every other day or so um, when you're there visiting the hospital, you know, once a month, um, you do need these support groups. I met people that had been on the list for about seven years was one person. Um, there are people on there for a, a long time. Uh, I, like I said earlier, I was fortunate that I didn't have to uh, wait that long, but that was just by mere circumstances. Um, a donor had come up. Um, that was someone that was, um, they were, they were good. The family was going to pull the, the plug and it just happened to be the right size, right age, right blood match. And it just happened that it was local and it wasn't something coming in. So things just kind of fell in place. Now, <laughs> I say that as though, I mean, it's a positive thing because it, it obviously granted me a, a higher quality of life. But having, going through this, the actual procedure is very, very intense. Um, would you like me to share what, the, what it's like going through that procedure and actually getting to the hospital and going through what it's like to have a liver transplant? Well, uh, it's, let, let's 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 uh, just just uh, say that you, you were in <laughs> you were in intensive yeah. care. How long were you in the intensive care unit after um, you had your, the surgery? After I had the liver transplant, um, I was there for the first time. I was there for four days, which is very fast. Most people do not get out that fast. Having said that, four hours after being discharged, uh, I spiked a fever and then had to be admitted for another six days. Um, after that, you actually, I had to stay in the area where I had the surgery um, were for 27 days post, um, post-procedure. Post and you have various tests and things they monitor, and it's not uncommon. Like I said, I had to go back in. I had to go back in about two times uh, after okay. the initial surgery. So, and then during that initial post-op period, did you have any type of reactions to medication that you were aware of? Um, no. Uh, well, reaction to medications, no. I didn't have any strong reactions to medications besides what they were doing to me. Um, you know, when you're there, I had more reactions of fluid uh, within my body uh, that weren't going in place. And plus, you know, it, it is a very intrusive. I mean, your, your organs are moved around, so I had a lot of bruising and things like that. So uh, the medications, you know, were basically a lot of pain medication and then a lot of anti-rejection medication, which you need to do so that your body accepts the liver. Um, those, unfortunately, um, uh, will never go away on any transplant operation. Exactly. Did you develop any cravings for foods that you never had before? <laughs> does probably um but um yeah um no you know you're just happy once you have the liver the amazing thing about the whole process is um even after you have the surgery yes uh, you've just been um cut open and they put a new organ in you but immediately how fast you start seeing the changes especially with the different types of tests that they run to touch from um, what your blood is. So when you actually get the liver, um, you can start seeing things change. You, and it, it, even though you're sick when you uh, when you don't have it, once you get it, even though you're in a lot of pain, you see how much pain or how sick you really were. It, it, I don't think it ever would really sink in with anyone until after um, after you get the new liver and you start seeing things come back to normal. Just out of curiosity, what medication did they give you for the pain? Uh, uh, you have uh, oxycodone for the first couple of weeks, um, and then you have to um, uh, get off of that. And then you do have um, you're allowed a, a small dosage, a dosage of Tylenol uh, after that. <laughs> yeah, he did share that with me, and that, that was yeah, interesting. Geez. But it was like what? Not, what did you say about 900 milligrams, Kyle? Max. Yeah. Max. Um, and you know, the less you can do that, the better. Uh, sure. the, the part they don't—they don't want you to start um, using all the other pills to, to affect the kidneys. Um, you know, so, I, uh, yeah, you're, you know, I can understand, uh, Jerry and Dan. I could understand. They, you know, they want, don't want to use an, uh, an aspirin-like product because it could cause a lot of bleeding because there's a sure. lot of t- tissue disruption. I could understand. Uh, 
them looking for an option other than aspirin. But I, I was sort of taken back to when Kyle told me he was allowed up to 900. But at least they had a, a, an upper limit on it and, uh, on the doses, and it wasn't for a long time, right, Kyle? No, it was just more of you know, once you're on the oxycodone, you use that to get rid of the pain. But obviously, you know, I, at least I see the news. Um, it, you, you kind of bring in the Tylenol as you're getting off the oxycodone, and then soon you're off all of it. Well, well, your liver and uh, it affected your liver. Did it affect your your kidneys, your heart, or your pancreas at all? This condition? No, no, good. not at all. Okay, that's good. I'm just curious. Sometimes in bad cases, they they can be affected too, but uh, th- that's a good thing. Okay. Uh, you know, I, I, again, it made it made like it made Kyle appreciate you know what one organ, of course, is the largest organ in the body. What you know, what if it's not functioning right? How bad you feel? Uh, he, he and I, I was I was interested to hear him say he didn't realize how bad he was feeling until he got the new liver. So, so what advice do you have with some of our listeners to keep ignoring any little telltale signs of jaundice or get yourself <laughs> evaluated quickly? <laughs> uh, yes, uh, I, I would certainly say, you know, it's not, don't take for granted when you think, oh, well, it's nothing. Um, you're always better to have it checked out. Um, yeah, when you have a little jaundice, I suggest you have it checked out. Um It's, you know, I guess it, it depends on the individual, but I would suggest be safe than sorry. Absolutely, yeah. And, you're, I mean, you're so young, so, yeah, I could see why it's easy to kind of, like, dismiss things, you know. Yeah, I mean, you know, how many times have you just shaken it off, um, especially, you know, when you're in your 30s, you're just coming out of your 20s, and you don't get sick very often unless you have something major happen to you, you know, normally when you're in your 20s, so... Um, it, it kind of just snuck up uh, on you, even though, you know, like I said, you look back and you see those signs uh, at the time, you don't really recognize what to do with those signs. Um, now just out of curiosity, uh, do you have any like root canal teeth in your mouth? Uh, I have not had a root canal. Uh, I have just the only thing I really had uh, dental wise, I had a couple cavities. Any any wisdom teeth removed? Uh, I did. Ha- I have had all four of my wisdom teeth removed. It'll be interesting if you can locate a biological dentist to have the those areas checked out for any potential chronic infection because usually about 90% of the post-wisdom uh, tooth extraction sites in the bone are still infected. That's well, that, that would be that, – that's in that, uh, that, that ligament at the bottom of the tooth, Jerry? Well, yeah, the periodontal ligaments have to be exquisitely curetted or scraped out. And unfortunately, most oral surgeons, when they remove a third molar, they allow the the socket to remain open so all the bacteria from the mouth conveniently migrate into that area. And uh, unfortunately, um, you can have infections in the jawbone and not have any overt clinical symptoms, no swelling, no pain, no redness, no bleeding. But, I mean, I had a woman that had congestive heart failure and for 10 years, and it, I tracked it down to a strep infection in the jawbone where she had a wisdom tooth taken out 10 years ago. So, basically, that was the cause of her congestive heart failure. Well, I'm, I'm sure Kyle's going to be attuned att- att- to his body from now right. on, right, Kyle? <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, I definitely uh, definitely do the, the checks and actually follow everything to the letter. Um, especially now. In fact, if I didn't have, you know, my great doctors, Dr. Meyer, and I didn't have a great support system of my family and uh, and all that actually pushing me to do these things and to get these checked and to, to walk me through it, uh, I never would have gone through it. But I definitely, you know, not only not only do I not pay attention to myself, but the other people that are around me that tell me things, I'm not, I actually keep listening. So the more I listen, the better, better off one could be um, helped and if need be. Okay, well, uh, Kyle, we talk a lot about uh, the liver on this podcast because it's an oxification organ, and we talk about liver detox, and we talk about drugs, and, and even uh, nutraceuticals that affect the liver. So uh, 
we will probably uh, impose upon you to come back again and give us a follow-up. How long has it been now since your surgery? Uh, I am 12 weeks out now. So, um, yeah, 12, 12 weeks since I've had the surgery. And uh, if you saw me, you know, actually walk down the street, you really wouldn't know a difference until you got to know me or, or spent a lot of time with you. Um, considering, you know, 12 weeks ago I was in a um, hospital bed with, a, you know, open scar on a new liver in me. And now that I'm walking around and, and walk, a, you know, a couple miles a day now, uh, it's pretty remarkable. So I'd be more than happy to give a follow-up. Absolutely. And, you know, I can see it as you walk by. You, you, you've just uh, slimmed down, <laughs> walk up brisker. So, you know, from my, my observation, you, you've really improved a lot. Well, gentlemen, Dr. Dan, yeah. any questions for uh, Kyle while we have him? We've imposed upon him here uh, for yeah, a half hour. Yeah, um, uh, take good care of yourself, Kyle, and don't drink any alcohol. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, we'll, so you we'll only have the one liver that. transplant. Because uh, we we have a case in our family, uh, a, a good friend's son, a friend of my brother, um, too much alcohol and too much Tylenol, and he had a liver transplant, and he's had multiple ones. I think he would have at least two or three now, but I don't think he took care of himself after he got the liver transplant. So I'm sure you're going to take care of yourself now and keep that one good liver in there, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, like I said. You might want to have I another have, one. I, no, I don't want and to go through gonna, that again. <laughs> no, and you're going to do fine, and you're going to let us know what going, what's going on, right? That'll be nice. Absolutely. Well, let's Kyle, I, I, I have part, one. I just, again. I, I just sure. have one question for Kyle. Kyle, did they give you a list of do's and don'ts as far as lifestyle change, uh, life, how to live your life after this transplant? Um. Yeah, you have you have some uh, do's and don'ts. Um, you know, there there are a lot of things that that will go back to normal. You, you learn obviously. I'll be on what they call pro, or prograf, which is an anti-rejection medicine for the rest of my life. That's never going anywhere. Um, you have some nutrition restrictions, uh, obviously to keep you away from um, uh, getting sick. For instance, I'll never have a uh, medium rare steak again. I'll never have any runny yolk. Um, so you have little changes like that, always going to have to exercise, um, as of right now, uh, as soon as you come out of surgery, uh, you're automatically classified as a diabetic. So, uh, I do take insulin right now, now 50% that goes away, 50% that doesn't go away. Um, so that is a different change for me that obviously with the exercise and watching nutrition and watching what you put in your body, um, can, will help me, you know, hopefully get rid of that and not have to be uh, a diabetic moving forward. Did they give you any recommendations to stay away from high fructose corn syrup? Um, the Really, the only thing I, I mean, you never want to eat anything real bad for you. The one thing you really have to stay away from is, like, grapefruit um, and, a, and a couple other um, fruits that you aren't really allowed to eat that, that affect medications, that, that create uh, complications. Um you know, you don't want to eat too much sugar. Obviously, that also deals with the diabetic um, things. But for the most part, as long as you eat in moderation, you're you're okay. I mean, just be careful. A lot just, of diet. Yeah, start looking at the labels. I'm telling you this. Our next segment uh, before we end the show is going to be on high fructose corn syrup, and that'll do a number on your liver. And it's and in, your it's ubiquitous. Yeah, and your pancreas also. Did they give you any neck to try to increase your Glutathione before the transplant, did they try any of that, uh, Kyle? I'm sorry, could you repeat that? That drug called NAC, N-A-C, did they give you any of that to try to increase your glutathione to try to avoid the transplant? Uh, I did not have any of that. Okay. Um, I guess they realized that you needed the transplant, and that was it. All right. Yeah, they once they they pretty much uh, determined that that I needed it, uh, the the transplant. I mean, the lowest I ever got was a 24 in a list. And people, in rare occasions, are uh, meld score was 24. Uh, and they, uh, there are there are cases of people getting them. I think as as I'm not positive on this, but I think as low as 18 on the meld score, which is pretty low. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're going to do fine. The way you, your attitude is good, and that's important. <laughs> good yeah. attitude. Yes. Well, no. Kyle, I, I, I again, I appreciate. Uh, 
you're giving us the time because I think our, our uh, listening audience uh, really appreciate uh, can, can maybe have a little different sense of, to take care of their liver. Uh, it's real. It's a critical organ, and you know, I don't think they want to go through what you went through uh, because a lot of them might be older anyway. And uh, it's a good, it's a good story, and we'd like to have you back and give us a follow up here in a couple months. Uh, but uh, I thank you. It's been it's been great. All right, well, Jerry, uh, Dan, we're good, right? Yeah, yeah, we're, we're we're good. Thanks, Carl. We appreciate it. God bless you. All right, thank you. We'll pray for you. All right, Kyle. We'll see you on the street. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, that's uh, Kyle who underwent a liver transplant. Let me remind everybody that, you know, we're on multiple platforms. All our shows are archived. You can get us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Blueberry, TuneIn Radio, uh, almost any place you can hear one of our uh, shows, uh, all 240 episodes now. Uh, all archived and appreciate that. Also, would appreciate you uh, look uh, logging in if you have a Facebook account or maybe your grandkids do or your children do. Dr. Iran, Dr. Iran, unfiltered, uncensored. Give us a like. We're going to try and build up that 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 Facebook page. We do post something almost every day, uh, from cholesterol to eggs to glyphosate, important hot topics of the day. And uh, if you have any comments about the show, docronradio at gmail.com, just drop us a line. Uh, just a reminder that because of the hurricane coming here to South uh, Florida, there may not be a program next week. Uh, uh, we'll, we'll send out a, an email blast regarding that. Uh, and uh, I just want to thank Kyle again. It was really informative. Uh, you know, I probably took a lot for him to relive part of that. So I really appreciate him coming on. And let, let's talk a little bit about fructose uh, because it has a lot to do with the liver. I, I, I told you that it could be called non-alcoholic fatty liver disease or non-alcoholic steatohepatitis, NASH. Uh, but I just want to start off the conversation today about, about a study that came out of Germany uh, about this, this condition. It's a condition that, believe it or not, ladies and gentlemen, it's about one out of every three Americans. It's something doctors really have to learn about. Uh, Maybe even transplant doctors have to hear about fructose. Science from the University of Tübingen, Europe's oldest public research university, have found something they've dubbed, I'm going to quote this, organ crosstalk, unquote. It appears that an unhealthy liver filled with fat can also secrete substances into the bloodstream that can damage other organs and cause changes in certain cells in the kidneys and the pancreas. Let that sink in. Kidneys and pancreas if your liver is damaged. So while they're not sure exactly what kind of damage this, the, uh, is caused by these proteins, uh, They did find evidence of a lot of inflammation and an attraction of immune cells to pancreatic tissue. Their questions are, for further research, could this be a precursor to pancreatic cancer? Okay, they're on the fence about this lethal disease, but chronic inflammation of the pancreas is one of the top contenders of what causes it. So I could tell you that back in the 1980s, uh, the big food giants quietly replaced sugar with a cheaper ingredient, and that's the one we're talking about now. That was discovered in Japan and made in a laboratory, and that ingredient, of course, is high fructose corn syrup, HFCS. But this sweetener swap, led by top names in the soft drink industry, appears to have triggered an epidemic of liver disease. And it was really rare before the introduction of a high fructose corn syrup that most doctors never even saw a case of it. And guess what? UCLA researchers discovered that high fructose corn syrup is also shockingly linked to pancreatic cancer back in 2010. So this uh, this is a, a toxic substance. I can give you lots of reasons to uh, avoid it, and I'll go into that a little later. But I want to hear what uh, Dr. Jerry has to say about high fructose corn syrup. Well, unfortunately, the super-duper turbocharged uh, high fructose corn syrup is up to 90% concentration now. 
before it used to be 42 to 55 percent. <laughs> so they're making sure they're getting you with the best of the best. Um, <laughs> and, and, uh, I'm sure. And, uh, and, and there's no GMOs in it, is there? Oh, God forbid. I mean, they're using the best corn on the planet. What, are you kidding me? They're using the cheapest GMO corn that they can get their hands on, which, by the way, I had real corn yesterday for the first time in years, and, I, you know, I thought I died and went to heaven. My good friend oh, got yeah. it from an organic farm, no uh, Roundup, you know, no glyphosate, totally organic. And, boy, we, what we did, we soaked the husk for an hour. We had a dozen ears of corn, soaked it for an hour in water, and then you put it on the on the grill outside, and you slowly turn them, and the steam inside, it, it actually acts like foil, and it, it just steams the corn. I'm telling you, with butter and a little uh, Himalayan sea salt on there, it, you thought you died and went to heaven. It was the best. That's where I'm coming, right to your place for this uh, for this hurricane. So I can when have the it. storm starts, absolutely. <laughs> so anyway, the, the fructose, it's so darn pervasive. It's hidden in most processed foods like pretzels, bologna, bologna cheese, spread, baked goods, even Worcestershire sauce. I mean, it's they they're not proud, man. They'll put it in probably dog food too and cat food. Uh, the crap is so goddamn uh, pervasive in our society. It's in ketchup. Uh, it's in ketchup. Oh yeah, absolutely ketchup. Yeah, and the key in the whole equation is that the FDA has turned a blind eye to this uh, HFCS 90. You know, they say they're not recognizing it as not safe. You know, and the joke of it is due to the budget reasons and long product reviews times, the FDA decided 1997, they're so sweet, that food companies could review their own products and determine <laughs> if they're safe or not. Isn't that nice of them? <laughs> beautiful. It's but a beautiful thing. Yeah, you find one rat hair in the vitamin B product. They're, in 24 hours, they pull all the vitamin B off the shelf, right? Yeah, Jeez. <laughs> it's Absolutely. crazy. Absolutely, it is yeah. crazy. And the uh, the key too is that you know it's related to elevated blood pressure, uh, insulin resistance, and obesity. Elevated triglycerides it depletes uh, vitamins and minerals. And as we alluded to earlier, there's cardiovascular issues, definitely liver, cancer, arthritis, gout, pancreas, and dementia. Um, so that's what the heck's really going on. And the joke of it is when they say there's no no fat, you know, what they do is in low-fat foods, they put in the cheap sugar. So it turns to poison. Incredible. I mean, we got rid of the yeah. fat and we replaced it with sugar. Yeah, they're killing because the fat, I mean, the sugar will turn to fat anyway. So it's a joke. We use a lot of it, don't we, uh, Dr. Jerry? Oh, crunching the mouth. A lot of fructose. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. It's, I read up to thirty-five pounds per person per year. Um, Everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Well, actually, he's saying the biggest consumption is in uh, soft drinks. Uh, between the uh, nineteen ninety-seven and two thousand and one, it, it went up one hundred and thirty-five percent in beverages. The consumption. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, I mean, years I, I ago, think I used to buy soft drinks by the uh, by the case, you know, when they had them on sale. Yeah. It's been years. I don't even know what a soft drink looks like. I, I won't touch them. They're just not safe. Well, I think Whether the you're getting the high fructose syrup or you're getting aspartame or one of those uh, terrible substitutes, I won't touch them now. Well, you know, joke is yeah. in the 60s, Japan used uh, stevia as a sweetener in soft drinks, but the FDA mm. wouldn't approve it over here, for God forbid, because it's too healthy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Dr. Jerry, you agree that the message, though, to our audience is be aware that it's uh, it's, a, it's derived from corn, this high fructose corn syrup, and, and it's probably the largest calorie source now for Americans. Absolutely. And, uh, okay, and it's associated with, like you said, insulin resistance, obesity, blood pressure, triglycerides, LDL cholesterol. It depletes your body of vitamins and minerals because it has none. Uh, it, and it, and it, it, it interferes with the aging process, leads to insulin resistance, fat cells in vital organs, and that's what we're talking about, fat cells in your liver. One out of three with non-alcoholic fatty liver disease is going to end up with liver failure. So uh, do you, did you by, excuse me, did you by any chance have a, a, a list of uh, synonyms for this uh, fructose? Um. 
Yeah, let me see. I did dig up some I, earlier. Um, maize uh, maize it, syrup. Yeah, they use that uh, tricky, um, you know, phraseology. Um, fructose, uh, glucose fructose syrup, tapioca syrup, fruit fructose, crystalline fructose. There's the um, one, yep. Yeah, glucose syrup, and, and, of course, the maize, the corn syrup. Yeah, but it's all the same garbage. It's still... Yeah, but I mean, some you know they try and uh, use a different name like corn syrup, but it's fr- corn syrup is fructose. Absolutely, it's still high. So you have octane. high fructose corn syrup. You got the HFCS ninety fruit right. sugar, and I, I want to throw one out at you. Maybe you didn't know about it. This surprised me even agave syrup. Oh yeah, even if that's, it's organic, hundred percent yep. fructose agave. Agave is no good, huh? 100% fructose. Yeah, years ago we thought agave was good, but I guess it's not. Okay. Well, we didn't we didn't look at deeply into it like we're doing now, uh, Dr. Dan. Oh. You know? Yeah, it's, uh, it's all that disinformation so, that they put out there. Exactly. 100% fructose. Oh, boy. Yeah. Well, another, uh, I really think today another we, show we, we, I, learned, I learned a lot today. Yeah, me too. Me too. Me three. If I look in the mirror, I hope our, and I hope our audience did, and I hope yeah. uh, you get your children or your grandchildren to like us on Facebook, Dr. Ron Unfiltered, Uncensored. We'd love to have you uh, uh, as a like, and uh, if you have any comments, docronradio uh, at gmail dot com. And uh, you know, if uh, any of your associates, your family, you want to listen to any of our programs, they're available on Blog Talk Radio. And mostly all the other uh, platforms, including Stitcher, uh, Blueberry, uh, TuneIn Radio, Google Play Store, and iTunes. So we're there, ladies and gentlemen. Well, hey, hey gentlemen, this this day has uh, this has flown, and I still have some more hurricane preparation to do. So, uh, Dr. Dan, any final words for our, our audience? Yeah, my my final words are serious today. Uh, I want anyone who prays or whatever you believe in to pray for the people up in Houston and anyone in Louisiana and all the people who were affected by Harvey. And I'm asking big prayers for all of us to take this bad Irma hurricane out to sea. Get rid of it. Ask God to be good to us. <laughs> Your prayer especially or whatever you believe in, pray for it to go and that no one gets hurt and no one has to move. That's all I can say, and God bless everyone on our program. Thank you, Dr. Dan. You're welcome. I want to give a quote again because of what we do on this program from Martin Luther King. And he said, our lives begin to end the day we become silent about things that matter. And, Mm -hmm. ladies and gentlemen, uh, we believe that what we're bringing to you is information about things that really matter, and information you're not going to hear on the fake news, the mainstream news uh, from the big pharmaceutical companies. And uh, as long as you want us here, uh, we'll try and bring you this 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 type of information. Dr. Jerry. Yeah, my last uh, parting words are: remember, there's no such thing as a small act of kindness. Every act creates a ripple with no logical end. So, if our audience just shares one or two pearls that we put out there with their friends, you know, it may help somebody uh, get a better quality of life. Well, ladies good. and gentlemen, with that, with that words of wisdom from our uh, esteemed Dr. Jerry Smith, uh, he, by the way, he has a great website, ICNR.com, ICNR.com. Uh, you'll see a lot of the miracles that he has uh, worked with his clients and patients. Yeah, we have a free, okay. there's a free, whatchamacallit coming up, uh, a seminar uh, on the internet. It's about uh, fibromyalgia and chronic pain. So it's like I said, it's free. People can, you know, register and uh, they get a beautiful presentation can and a free copy of my book, icnr.com. Okay, so sign up for the fibromyalgia conference or yeah. his uh, book on pain. It's a great, yeah, it's great a freebie. book, and yeah, it's it's, it's that's, that alone is worth it. All right, ladies and gentlemen, God, Godspeed. I hope we're with you next week. I hope uh, we still have a, a recording studio here uh, when uh, 
we return. Uh, but that's it for today. Hopefully we'll see you next week on the radio. Dr. Ron and Dr. Ron have left the building. Thank you for listening to Rejuvenation Health Radio here on blogtalkradio.com. See you next week. Ciao.